Welcome to episode 20 of Mike's Notes. Today we're going to talk about sunk costs, as explained by Richard Thaler, John Cook, Richard Feynman, and Monish Pabrai. What got me thinking about sunk costs was a reread of Richard Feynman's book and lecture series, Surely You're Joking, Mr. Feynman. And the final lecture that's included in that book is the one on cargo cult science. And that's where Feynman's quote that you must not fool yourself and you are the easiest person to fool comes from. And of course, this dovetailed with a few podcasts and YouTube videos that I had recently watched. Sunk costs are costs that are once incurred, they can't be recovered. So a common example of this is financial sunk costs. When you fix something on your car and then something else breaks and then you decide to fix that second thing because you already put some money into the first thing. This happens a lot with me with tires. It seems like I'm always replacing tires on a car and then something else breaks and then it's time to decide whether or not to part ways with the car or not. And then if I consider the cost of the tires and part of that decision making, I'm considering the sunk costs. Another example is time. Time can be a sunk cost. If you're in a movie that's not very good, have you ever walked out of it? I've only walked out of one movie in my entire life and I've seen some really bad movies. I've sat through some really bad kid movies. And in that example, I can't really leave my kid, but that's an example of the sunk costs of time. But sunk costs exist in other domains and sometimes they're harder to recognize. And this gets into the area that Feynman talks about, about fooling ourselves. When there's an extra weight to it, when there's something beyond numbers like dollars or minutes. The first occurrence of this was in a And this first quote comes from Dr. John Cook, and he's talking about how his research I couldn't believe the results. Everything went the wrong way. I was devastated. You know, this was a hypothesis that I had uh, really, you know, become part of my life. And it was, it was uh, like a, a mourning the death of a friend because it was such a, a big part of my life. So Cook had a professional responsibility to report the results as they were, rather than to report results that had aligned with his previous research. And this is a powerful idea that he was able to take that responsibility to to present things as they were and not as he would have liked them to be. Another example of this is when Richard Thaler talked about the economic model, and not the economic model we would think of in terms of the economy, but the models that economists use to figure things out. This clip is from his interview with Barry Ritholtz, and he talks about why people Let's just say that one of the things that humans have trouble with is the economic concept of sunk costs. 
If that dessert doesn't taste very good, you shouldn't eat it just because you paid 20 bucks for it. And economists have trouble Thaler has seen his success in more of a behavioral economics model. And he said that people weren't willing to give the other one up because they didn't want to admit professional defeat. They didn't want to see their life's work uh, be changed or, at the worst case, go down the drain. So both of these examples, we have Cook with his medical results, we have Fowler with an economic theory, are both talking about trying to find things that are true. That is, even though they've sunk so much cost, whether it's professional or personal or time or money, they aren't committed to the results. Our final clip is from Monish Pabrai, who spoke about this in May 2016 to a UC Irvine class. His entire talk was really good, and one that I took notes on and published a blog post about. This quote comes from the Q&A session at the end, and Monish talks about how you can get around the sunk cost idea. For example, Charlie Munger wanted to read 100 years of General Motors annual reports. And if you do that much work on something, Pabrai warns, that you're going to feel compelled to act on that information. It's a good idea to study a business for the sake of studying it. It's, it's not a good idea to study the business uh, just purely from the perspective of do I want to invest in this or not? And, uh, you know, one of the things that happens is that there's a, uh, humans have a commitment bias. So what happens is that when we spend a lot of time on something, we feel we should get some return for that time. And, uh, and, and so it's a little bit of a, I would say, a, a, a danger if you say that I'm going to research a company and then decide whether I want to invest or not. Um, I think you're better off just researching the company with no such preconceived notion because um, as you go deeper into the business, uh, you're spending more time and then, then you're feeling like, well, if I don't do anything, what's the point? And, uh, and, and so on. So I think that uh, maintaining the objectivity is, uh, is important and, uh, and, and just... Uh, uh, not being compelled to act, you know. Um... To not be compelled to act. That is, you don't think, because I did all this time, I must do the next step along the line. These three quotes, these examples, bring us back to Feynman's line, you must not fool yourself, and you are the easiest person to fool. In that same speech that Feynman gave to the 1974 graduating class, he laid out ways to avoid fooling ourselves. And it boils down to four specific words. Having utter scientific integrity. This is what Feynman had said. Quote, For example, if you're doing an experiment, you should report everything that you think might make it invalid, not only what you think is right about it, other causes that could possibly explain your results, and things you thought of that you've eliminated by some other experiment, and how they worked to make sure the other fellow can tell they have been eliminated." End quote. In each of our examples, we see these people having that utter scientific integrity. Cook talked about 
how he had to report these other results. He almost had a professional integrity where his reputation and his career was on the line. And you don't need to be an expert to have this utter scientific integrity. When Thaler was a student, he started to have doubts, so he was writing them down. This is how he recalled that in his book, Misbehaving. Quote, Although I had misgivings about some of the material presented in classes, I was never quite sure whether the problem was the theory or my flawed understanding of the subject matter. End quote. So what Thaler did was he created this list titled, Dumb Stuff People Do, and he wrote down things that went against the uh, efficient market hypothesis, against this idea that he was seen in class and was presented by professors, but he didn't know why it was wrong, even though that it looked like it was wrong. Pabrai saw Charlie Munger model this, and if Munger was willing to read hundreds of years of annual reports, then he was also willing to do the work and not necessarily to make an investment. It's easy to fool ourselves. There are so many psychological biases to trip us up. There's so many other people that can trip us up. If you mix in these biases and different relationships in our lives, like that with money or career, it's hard to fight them back, especially if you don't have a secure footing for good decision making. We all need to work on this, and hopefully hearing stories about sunk costs and how other people dealt with it can help you too. Thanks for listening to episode 20 of Mike's Notes. Well, that's very nice. Thank you very much. Now, why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? It's leave, you idiot. Make like a tree and leave. You sound like a damn fool when you say it wrong. All right, then, leave. And take your book with you.